Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. We got Chadwick Stokes here, everybody. That's how I say your name, right? Chadwick yeah, Stokes? Perfect. Are Chads often Chadwicks? And I just didn't know, or are they... What's the origin I, my, of the name Chadwick? My real name is Charles, so it's like a nickname oh. for that, which I don't think I is... I didn't know that. Yeah. But I had... My sister's name is Farley, so my folks didn't want to call me Charlie. Charlie Farley? Yeah. That's interesting. It would have been a little much, maybe. Yeah, that's cool. Chadwick is cool. I've never met another Chadwick. <laughs> did you... When you worked with Chad Blake, did you ask him why he spelled his name? Yeah, yeah. We had a big Chad. T. Chad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. T. Chad I, Blake. I felt him because I was like... Uh, I I always I th- I always dug the T uh-huh. when I first looked at the back of those Soul Coughing albums to oh, see yeah. who produced it, and I right. was like, all right, because I remember looking at the old maps of Africa and seeing that Chad was spelled that way. Yeah, and basically he was like, yeah, I just want I he at some point changed it. Yeah, he he's like, it I cooler. just wanted it to be different. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. Yeah, he's so cool. He's the he's, he's, so, he, he's amazing. He is. I love Jackie too. I yeah. Jackie was the assistant. Jackie's Chad Blake's wife, and she was the assistant engineer on my first record. Wow. At Real World, and and uh, yeah, and she and it was funny because we would talk, and she'd be like talking to me about how how she had a crush on Chad at the time and stuff like that. Oh, you got in the early days. Early like days, it. yeah, before they got it together, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. I went riding with Jackie. Uh, on the horse? Yeah. yeah. And I was on Chad's horse, this giant, and I grew up on a small farm, so I, I knew how to ride, but it's, it had been a while, and mm. Chad's horse was, was big, like 18 hands, and she just took off, and the first, <laughs> first couple minutes were a little mm. uh, dicey, but then I, I kind of caught my wind and and uh, settled down but we were just flying through the woods was it your first time on a horse no no i grew up around him but it had been like maybe like three or four years oh. and sometimes when you and it, and if you're not used to the english saddle which is you know feels different than the western saddle um which is probably the last horse i've been on was more western yeah. um but it was just such a big horse and and having it had been a few years and when you it just t- took a minute but she took off and i was just like all over the place on this mm-hmm. horse like galloping trying to keep up to that, this horse york i think his name was was trying to keep up to jackie and mm-hmm. it took a couple minutes but but then it was great and then by the end we were just like flying through like it was like robin hood and we were just flying through the, the little paths i don't think i've ever been on a horse I don't know. I can't remember. I yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Too dangerous. Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you're trying to jump shit, maybe. But. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it is. It is kind of dangerous. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't know. Like, so where'd you grow up? I grew up uh, about 45 minutes west of Boston uh-huh. on a small farm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's that's neat. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it, no, it was super. It was like you know woods, uh-huh. woods and fields. And Were your folks farmers or something? Not or? really. My mom kind of was, and then my dad had different jobs, um, but he was less inclined. But my mom and we lived with my aunt and uncle too, and my aunt was a horse vet, and so we would there was all and we had sheep, pigs, and ducks, and chickens, and dogs, right. and horses. Um, so there was always some. There was always you know like sheep being born or like the twin horses being bored and dead you know like stillborns like it was like this 
you you get this like uh, mm. early dose of real life. Yeah, and what life is. Yeah, like that's great. Yeah, it was really it was that that part of it was pretty fascinating. Because I'm like the opposite of that. Like I grew up in suburban Ohio. You know, no animals. Yeah, no pets. <laughs> really. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. I can't imagine what that's like to sort of see life in all its like horrible glory. Yeah, exactly. I think it would be good. I feel like that would be a healthier way of coming into the world in some kind of way. I, well, yeah, there's like a, it, there's like that whole, it's a natural it's a connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's like real enough. But it also was, you know, it also was pretty sheltered existence. You know, it was like, uh, you know, it was it, we we didn't. The neighbors were far away. You know, uh -huh. so we, it was like this insular family thing. And mm. we still have the property. And my folks are still alive and still live there. Mm. And it's almost like too. It's like we're too attached to the to the property. To the prop. Like we know every inch of it, and we can't. But we can't leave. Like my siblings are all in and out, and we're trying to figure out what to do with it next. Anyways, it's a. I see. Like as your as your parents get older, like how are they gonna like maintain a farm? Because that's yeah. a lot of hard labor. Actually, yeah, yeah. And my dad kind of hobbles around, mm. and, you know, mending fence posts, and it's just like mm. it's uh for time. But but the, there's leaving, four siblings. Leaving Shangri La. Kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. And it feels like it would be almost be healthy to like rip that like tear tear that away. But you know? they're gonna resist that. Probably. Yeah, and we are too. You know? Yeah, so. Sorry, I interrupted you though. You were saying about your siblings and well, just everyone is. Uh, at one point, we've all moved back and lived there, you know, mm -hmm. and like, so it's like this fluid thing. Like one of us moves out with because our we have too many kids or whatever, and the other one moves in with his girlfriend, or mm -hmm. one gets a divorce, moves back with her kid, and that kind of thing. That's interesting. Yeah, and is that healthy or is that against individuation? I, I, that's felt healthy at the time, but we we just moved last year, a year and a half ago, and it was it was it was time. It was time. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. Uh, yeah, that can that can thwart your existence if you don't individuate from your parents. Yeah, yeah, because we're all we're like predestined to grow up into them anyway, so it's it's a little you have to make some moves. Yeah, you gotta kind of go out of the nest yeah did you did you, did you have siblings growing up i have i have a sister and i guess i have a half brother who i've never met that i heard about like when i was older huh <laughs> out there somewhere yeah shout out to uh shout out to whoever you are out there <laughs> tommy tommy arthur <laughs> i found out about him when i was 26 so it was late in the day yeah but uh, yeah it's so interesting he's there's a there's a spirit out there somewhere yeah yeah it's good to know I guess it's kind of like it's just one of those, you know, it's just a little piece of information yeah. out, like that went into my brain and yeah. it's just kind of ping pongs into yeah. confusion whenever I think about With it. With some like, of that ancestry.com <laughs> stuff, there's that's happened to my wife too. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, she found out a, a year ago that yeah. she has a half brother. Yeah. Yeah. Just because someone, ca someone called her up out of the blue, or wow. called, called one of her brothers up. Yeah. And and they they had to call their dad and be like, Dad, did you know about this? <laughs> He's like, yeah, of course I did. He's like, yep. That's my favorite too. Hey, come on, are you kidding? <laughs> did I know? I was there. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, well, so on the farm, did was there guitars around? How'd you get? How'd you make your intro into music? Yeah, my dad. My dad was a pianist, so he. I mean, he played. He would play. He's not very religious, but. Uh, he would play like hymns, you know, like uh, 
or Bach or, uh, as we were going to bed every night. So he had he had wow. piano downstairs. We always had a piano. He could play Bach and stuff? Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's a good player. And, and he built a harpsichord, too, that, that was there. That That's still on the okay. farm. That's of. unusual. Most dads don't build yeah. harpsichords, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you had a leg up, but come on. It's a little bit of an unfair advantage. Uh, he's he's kind of, he's yeah, he, and he's a singer, too. He sings, and he's, he's kind of like, you know, he'll, He'll, he's one of the, he's the type of dad that after you do a show, he'll be like, you know, that yeah, harmonies on that third song seem, you know, you got to work on that. That was, mm. that wasn't quite the right interval yeah. or something like that. You know, he's, he knows his stuff and, and my mom's more carefree, more, more, more of the hippie type. But, mm. uh, but, um, we grew up, we grew up, so piano was always in the house and his, his mom played piano too, my dad's mom. And, uh. And then when, you know, we started playing horn instruments, at least the three brothers did, I, we two, we played trombone and, until my sister got a guitar when she was 13. And I, You I, all played trombone? One played trumpet and two of us played trombone. Oh, yeah. Why'd you pick trombone? Or was it picked for you? Well, I, I don't know. My, my... Sounds like dad was starting to try start a band or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's what's kind of funny. My, my uncle plays a tuba, too, and he lives with us. We would have... That gets pretty fun Trying around start the, a brass band around the holidays. Yeah, yeah, we do some Dixieland. That's kind of our best. <laughs> our best. We have no no one who plays the clarinet though. That'd be nice. But I think I my mom says I chose the trombone because I I knew no one would be in front of me. Mm. But I I don't think that doesn't sound right to me. I think it just it's like seemed like the coolest thing. Like why why wouldn't you pick the trombone? Yeah, I mean, that would be a really good t-shirt, too. Why wouldn't you pick the trombone? <laughs> I mean, it's got a slide. Just random. <laughs> yeah, random. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is, yeah, I could see as a kid that seeming seems to be the funnest. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, yeah, you know, exactly. Exactly, a circus or whatever. Did you grow up first on guitar? Um, well, I started on piano. You did? It was a piano, and uh, yeah, I took piano lessons, and then... Just the normal. I liked Kiss and Gene yeah. Simmons, and so I started playing bass. Yeah, and I got into like fusion. Yeah, and then I was in a blues band. We worked five nights a week in Cleveland. Yeah, heavy like during high school. So I got into it pretty young. Yeah, that way. But didn't start singing until I was twenty-one. All right. When you, did you? You had to be talked into it. Well, yeah, I I sang to myself in the car, and I always yeah. kind of like rated my voice. I always thought, yeah, Man, yeah. I, I I can do this. Yeah, you know. <laughs> First time I heard myself, well, somebody in high school said you got a terrible voice. That you know, you always have a friend that says you yeah, have a terrible voice. yeah, yeah. It's you hard know? to like your own voice. Yeah, I find. Yeah, when did you start singing? Pretty early on, we sang a lot on car rides and stuff. You know, we had the with the family. Yeah, we had like Beatles records, all of us singing. Uh, uh, um, the the hair, the musical, right, was big in my house growing up. Mm. So we were singing about orgasms and masturbation way before we knew what that was. What that was, what was happening there? Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I still think that music's incredible. When I listen to the bass lines that are in Hair, I, mean, I don't. I'm not that familiar with. Yeah, it. yeah. I it's, didn't know it was about masturbation. Me neither. Or, yeah, it's about, it's about acid trips and. Is it? Yeah. Wow. It's awesome, man. So your folks were kind of hippies then. They they were a little old to be hippies, but we but my aunt and uncle were hippies and they lived with us mm. in this little cottage, right? And they had all the vinyl. Uh, but my folks lived in New York it's City. Commune like. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, and like. It would end up being like the de facto house for kids in the neighborhood too to come 
hang. Right. And so it was. That makes sense. Yeah, it was a nice. And Wait, they a lot. lived in New York City. Yeah, my folks did. When you guys lived on the farm? No, no, beforehand. When they, oh, th- when they were before the farm. Before, yeah, they for, farm came right after New York City, actually. So that was a big switch for them. My mom's from Jersey. My dad's from Delaware. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, they lived up on Riverside. And how long were they in the city? Before? Probably like ten, almost ten years. Yeah, I, I like just I can understand that because I kind of like have a fantasy of like homesteading and all that. Yeah, yeah. You know, getting that living off the land and yeah. There's something about that after you city existed yeah. for as long as I have. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, to make that transition. Yeah, something. Yeah, that's it's alluring. Um, so that was so. It was interesting to to uh their their little progression yeah that was cool so trombone and hair yeah that was like the beginning stages yes and then when did you first start writing songs almost right away just really bad songs Mm -hmm. i I remember my mom had written a poem uh and i just started learning chords and i i just did it guitar yeah and i just did it right away started putting her words to music you know i i was pretty naive or just kind of like not really thinking about it yeah. like i'm not oh here i am writing a song i was just like oh let me try putting that to these chords you know yeah just kind of blindly walking into it uh and then and then start writing songs right away it's like a you know 13 14 year old and yeah. tried a couple open mics oh really? because uh, i had some older friends who were doing that and so, so you sang right away too yeah you know kind of just like whatever this is like it yeah it wasn't much there wasn't no much thought in it nothing, yeah yeah, the, the I'm much more nervous if I have to talk in front of people or if I have to like do a toast at a wedding. That really freaks me out. Or if I have to ask a question in a in like a big forum. Mm-hmm. This I can my my whole body's like I can feel my heart and my you know my fingertips. Yeah, public speaking is like supposed to be one of the biggest fears. Yeah, people have. Yeah, I'm okay kind of with the with especially with you know with the guitar on it's, it's helpful. when you can go into a song yeah i mean it helps yeah yeah because i want to try stand-up com- uh comedy but and i do like some of that while i'm performing but i have music to always fall back on are you usually playing it uh no not or someone no, else like i like i just go into like you know asking the audience if they have any questions and yeah. then just like getting a, a thing going on yeah i love yeah. all that yeah like it's fun as hell to me that's really cool that's good for the audience too yeah because right? that's fun. what i would that's what i would want to see right you know i don't i know the songs i want to hear them talk yeah <laughs> Typically. i like awkwardness too <laughs> i love that oh uh, yeah uh-huh. I, I have a friend who's exactly like that. He gives the most awkward toasts if we're at a wedding of a friend of ours. You yeah. know, it just it really like people, you know, it's not a good thing. It's very uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> but it, some people get a kick out of that. Yeah. And it's entertaining. It's hilar- can be hilarious. Yeah. So then you went, what, you went to... Um, did you have bands in high school or something or yeah. did you stay solo? I no, my my like rock band was I was in some bands. I was in like uh my this these kids lived on this farm uh across town and there's three brothers and they needed a singer so uh they knew I sang a little bit so I was like when I was 10 and they were uh you know like 9, 11 and 14 and they played bass, drums, and guitar. And they really taught me 
you know, they introduced me to the who and Zeppelin and Sabbath and later Nirvana. And so we were our own little, like, you know, family band, uh, for a while, but then, but then the trombone seemed to be like a very good, around that time also was a nice ska scene in Boston. Uh-huh. And so I was playing, we were doing like Mighty Mighty Boston oh, Mighty, covers. Mighty Boston's. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I was playing trombone. And even when I, when I got to college, trombone was kind of my, my entrance into these different bands. Because oh, you I, were kind of an expert at trombone. Well, I wasn't that good, but I was like, I, I, I knew how to play and... Like no one, no one in a band's like, "Hey, d- we need a guitarist," you know. And, but, but people of that, you know, if they're playing funk or ska, ska they need trombones. You know, yeah. it's not like we're a dime a dozen, so it was an easy way to get get gigs at school. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Do you still play trombone? Kind of just around the holidays. Yeah. And and in this recording studio, I'll do it. Yeah. Although my last on this on this last record, I played trombone, and uh, it just. It's funny. The last thing I did with Chad Blake, one of the final things I did with him was I added, we did trombone on this one song. And it was one of the last things we did. And he goes, he goes, man, I really, he's like, I fucking love that. I wish that was the last thing we did on this record. I wish that is how we were capping up off this session because that just sounds fucking amazing. You sound like a, you sound like a, it sounds because I, I overdubbed myself playing. He's like, it sounds like a trombone section of sixth graders. I fucking love it. Oh, really? So, <laughs> that's something Chad would say. You know, so it's like it was like raw and just bad enough, just yeah. out enough, but also cool enough. You know, right. uh, I like Cursive too. That band, you know, yeah. that band Cursive. Uh huh. They're from, and that that's like heavy. It's like heavy distortion with horns. You know, and I was kind of going for that sound with with Chad a little bit. That's cool. Um, but yeah, it's funny that Chad would dig the uh, the kind of uh, I don't know immature kind of rawness of the outness yeah (laughs) he goes for the outness he does he does i had to bring him back sometimes oh yeah well he would want the hi-hat like so fucking loud and like and he's like no no that's like that's its thing like that's the identity of that song and so right most of the time i acquiesce because i you know you got to trust trust chat so um but it was there was one actually one second when I was I was doing something that was way above my range and I was just like squeaking and squealing, mm-hmm. like doing an octave above the main melody line on this outro, and he just and I and I had to really belt it like yeah. I wanted it to be like Kurt Cobain kind of like screaming but like not kind of just out and you you're not supposed to be singing those notes and it's mm-hmm. clear and he just stopped me halfway, you know when you're you know when you're singing and you you get you got to get into it because it's a it's a part that needs that emotion or whatever. And then like, it just stops, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like something wrong. And yeah. That's just like, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, and he's just like, yeah, this isn't working. Oh, yeah. that's so hard. I just, I just like scream. On, yeah. <laughs> I mean, can't you just dip it down and put some verb uh, on yeah. it? It would work, bro. Let him finish. The I know, just let me finish. Come on, Chad. That's still <laughs> harsh. <laughs> it was, but he doesn't. He doesn't pull punches. You know, no, he knows he what he wants. Yeah, it's true. We love him for it. So, yeah, definitely. Well, Chad knows uh, he's loved. He gets shouted out on this podcast quite a lot. <laughs> what album did you do with him? Uh, he's mixed. Well, I mean, he mixed in the sun from Come to Where I'm From. Oh, okay, that uh, he he mixed all like uh, he mixed Redemption, Sun, all of that. 
He sequenced Junkyard Hearts EPs one, two, three, and four. Um, he mixed the Family. Wow. And he mixed. Uh, what else did I put out? I think recent stuff too. Oh, he mixed Arthur Buck, my band with Peter Buck. Nice. Recently. Yeah, was, you play with a lot of a lot of different people, right? Yeah. Did you yeah. play with Sybil Buck? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. A couple of bucks. Yeah. What the buck? What the buck? <laughs> she was in Lonely you know, Astronauts. So you know Sybil, huh? I, I, yeah, I met her at a uh, fun-loving criminal show mm. back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and my wife's name is Sybil. Oh, okay. Actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, I um, I saw that. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, I remember seeing that she had she was playing with you. It's cool. How many records did you make with Chad? Just one. Just one. Although I'd like to make more. Yeah, I would too. I would like him to maybe mix this new thing I'm working on right now. Yeah, it seems like he's mixing more now. Yeah, he basically. I feel like that's the thing. I want to go there and record with him, but yeah, he's kind of like just send me shit. Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to come here. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> you know what, bro? Just send me the files. Do we really, do we don't really need, to, need do to do this? <laughs> do, I, do I need you looking at me while I'm mixing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just send me it. Yeah. That's, that's right on, right on. What year was that when you were at Real World and doing that? I I think it was... You said two, 2006? Six, yeah. It was our, maybe before that. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Because he moved to Wales not too long, like a year or two after. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't seen, I haven't visited him in Wales. I'd love yeah, to. Me neither. I knew the next time I thought I saw Buck and Stan that they were going to be giant. Yeah. You know those feelings when you're with someone and you really connect with them, but and they have kids, and you're like, mm -hmm. you know that you, when you when you say goodbye, you know you're saying goodbye for a long time. And I I knew when I was, they were like five and six years old or whatever, yeah. five and seven, and I knew next time. And I haven't seen him again yet, but I've seen pictures. Yeah. And they're giant, you know they're. Yeah, they're all Break tall and skinny. And amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's in like that song. What's it? Is that song called Elias? Is that? Yeah. Where you even have a lyric along those lines, like, "Will I oh, yeah. ever see you again?" <laughs> yeah. It will you be a lot, or you know what I mean? Yeah. Or something along. So you must. If, think yeah, like, and if you die, will I get word that you're gone? Oh right, that, that part. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, because you went to Zimbabwe, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and you connected and then when you leave something like that yeah will i even know yeah and especially in those days mm -hmm. you know and without the not, internet yeah you just you know and, and from a rural town in zimbabwe right there's no telling like you know there's there was so much more separation back then and still is to this day in terms of uh you know it's not like his name's it's pronounced alias and it's uh. not, not like he's on you know it's not like he has a smartphone or anything like that Right. I went to northern Uganda um, a while back, and I had the similar feelings when I was leaving. I just yeah. started crying because it was just like the connections you make, you know, are just like yeah, they kind of transitory. Yeah. You know? Go up and smoke a little what, bit. What made you go to Zimbabwe? I was, uh, I was right out of high school and uh -huh. just looking to get as far away from my little town as, as I could. Why? I I just wanted to see the world. I wanted to like break free. Yeah. Um, so uh, was that supported by your family? Yeah. Yeah, we knew a family over there oh, I that see. I could go stay with. Oh, okay. And it was the furthest. It was the it was the furthest away that we knew someone <laughs> that would take me in. So 
How long were you? It was fascinating. Six months. That's a long time. Yeah. I played a lot of guitar there. Uh, Would go down to the townships and just play music. And there were other, you know, like kids who made guitars and we'd play together and just kind of hang. And a lot of places that, that, you know, it was really novel to be like a white kid. And so just walking through the village, you know. You get embraced. Yeah. And you. It would be like people running, probably like in mm-hmm. northern Uganda. Running up to you and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's nice once you're there and kind of keep coming back too. It's just, it's like, I don't know, it's just a, it was a different mindset down there too, right? So you, you learn a lot by how, uh, you know, what happiness is or what makes someone happy. And in the, in, when I was in Zimbabwe, it was okay, but there was still like, it was kind of ravaged by AIDS, you know, and there were open fields with open graves and just waiting for the people to die. And people were mm. dying so quickly and so many of them. Uh, and then it went into even worse political turmoil and uh, civil war. And uh, But it's, uh, there's a, that, almost like that farm connection we were talking about, you know, the people who I met there were just so connected to life itself that uh they seem to be able to tap into a um i don't know a, maybe a gratefulness or uh mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't take anything for granted mm. like like we do sometimes over here yeah we have to work on gratitude yeah make gratitude lists and remember remind ourselves to be grateful yeah and even that like just full like full disclosure for me has this agenda in my head like <laughs> if i'm grateful i'll i'll cultivate more things to be grateful for yeah. <laughs> you know yeah not just in and of itself to yeah. be grateful right you know but it's difficult life is difficult and you know it's always it's always to me it's always a, a duty of getting your state of mind into a positive place every day is that's the mission yeah you know yeah what do you do towards that? And do you consciously work on those kind of things? Or? My my therapist told me I should, but I, I I'm not. It's like I don't get around to it. But I have three little kids, and uh, they're pretty good at making you connecting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we could also well, you know, when you're a uh, you know, you always feel like, especially when they're tiny, it's like, you're just grateful to get through the day without like, without like dropping one, dropping them or banging them, <laughs> banging their head on the corner as you're, right. as you, yeah. you know, so if you can just get by without some serious like this, so that in that way, you're just like grateful that they're alive. Yeah. Um, uh, so that, that kind of, that kind of brings me to earth the, the most mm-hmm. makes me grateful. So when you were in Zimbabwe and they were and they were living off the land and connecting to gratitude via just a natural lifestyle, was that something you could relate to by growing up on a farm, or was it dissimilar, or was it similar? It felt pretty removed from the farm, just in that the uh, the simplicity. It, there, there's some simpleness in, in growing up on a farm, but there's also, there's also a lot going on. And the, there was a, there was simplicity in, in the lives of, uh, in the village, uh, where I was living. And it's, you know, where the, 
wasn't quite like this on the farm. What in the farm you have like there's you know there's there's uh, tractors and this this needs to happen today and it's kind of like this work and you you kind of you work your way through time mm-hmm. on a farm. Uh, but I, and I felt like uh, like where Alias lived, let's say in this this uh it was a place called section 17 which i mentioned in the song but like him and his two kids and and his wife they all lived in this little hut and they have the they all sleep on this one mattress and all they have is a cupboard um with a little bit i don't know in northern uganda like if you went to drink with someone Mm -hmm. they'd they'd have water and then they'd pour a little syrup in Mm -hmm. and that would be like your juice you know and so like they would that would be the extent of what they, they would had. They drink a lot of stuff, like this alcohol thing out of plastic bags. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the beer halls, man. They yeah. were, there was, there was some dicey moments, like mm-hmm. hitchhiking through. I don't know if you did some traveling, but uh, hitchhiking through some of these places and you wind up in a beer hall and the sun's going down and you're like this white kid around a bunch of drunk men. And it's, you know, it's, and you're, and you're trying to hitchhike out of there, trying to get to, you know, back to where you, we were coming from or something. And it's just like, you know, where you're just like a little bit too out of place and, and, uh, should probably be getting a move on it. Mm. Um, but that beer is like, yeah, it's like taste it. It's like drinking, I don't know, just like soured barley. Mm. It kind of. Kind was it out of like, plastic bags? I'm we. I've seen it out of plastic bags, but I'm I'm remembering like the plastic buckets, oh, okay. almost thing. You know, bucket like this big. You know, like bucket of like, beer, like ten inches wide, and you're just you know kind of just passing it around the concrete, white concrete beer hall in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And you set up like a charity organization of some sort. What's that called? The- yeah. Right at. Let's see. We had. The Alias Fund. Right, the Alias Fund. And then uh, the Dispatch Foundation kind of brought brought that into the fold when we uh, when that band Dispatch got back together mm-hmm. uh, in 2007 um, to play up at MSG. Um, we did, that was all called like Dispatch Zimbabwe. Mm. And we raised money for, uh, for different programs in Zimbabwe, like clean water and housing and that kind of thing. That's great. Yeah. How, is that still active? Not really. It, yeah. Zimbabwe became even almost too hard to work in. You couldn't get in there. The even the aid groups that went in there were just like run out of town. And yeah. we do some. We do still do uh, are connected with the family that I stayed with and Alias, and um, through them, like we're working. Uh, there's a medical clinic that we've over the years have, try, have put some money into. You know, that in the nearby town, so stuff like that. We're still involved, but you really, you can't go in as like an aid organization. You just have to know people who are doing good shit there and and right. try to funnel them a little money. Right. Yeah. It's it is difficult. That that kind of stuff. Complicated. Yeah. It almost has to be like your like. Um, you have to be fully consumed by it, I guess, in a way. Yeah, yeah, or or know someone who is, right? <laughs> yeah, or have somebody organizing it who yeah. is. Yeah. So, did so. What was it? How did you come about writing that song? That was like a big hit, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for us. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't sound like it was trying to be. It sounds very loose. Yeah. And just like free and yeah. 
and and you know inspired by the sounds that you encountered yeah there. the f- the first bit of it is uh it it came about when i was at, i taught at the school a little bit oh, okay. to sixth graders and they would sing this one song yeah. over and over again and so i just figured out the chords to that song and uh. then and learned it myself and it's just like a so that's the first part of it yeah it's, it's like, like a, a traditional song right and then i would and then what they thought was so funny was then i started singing words my own song using in shona so mm. i st- so then the second part of that song is me i'm still singing in shona but it's like i'm making it up and they th- they thought that was hilarious you know like yeah. um and then the song goes into english and and kind of tells the story of alias uh but uh but the first part is just like a, yeah it's like a traditional song and uh and then it but yeah it just evolved our, our our that's probably our second most popular song but our first popular song most popular song is called the general and that was also uh really haphazard like we recorded it one of the guys was sick so i was playing bass Mm. for like the first time and the we were up in burlington vermont this guy danny archer was was just hung over and falling asleep so we would press record and just the two of us press record and he was like asleep on the couch and uh come on danny dig deep we were we were (laughs) you would like this he kept calling us uh he kept calling us his he would be like all right you guys ready he's like come on you my little spanish bags of drainage wow that's what he kept calling us very so i guess pro tip if you want to hit record you know give yourself the worst nickname possible (laughs) it was really i mean we didn't think anything would come from that you know and yeah uh, uh, it just goes to show you, I guess. Just, How do you explain it? How do you explain the massive success of it? I don't, I, you know, I think Napster was really good for us. Why? Why? Because that song, the general was when, at least this is how it comes back to us. They say, you know, the timing was just right. We were just gaining a little bit momentum as a touring band. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that, starting in the northeast and building out we used to play the wetlands you know almost every month which is a big place yeah i mean i, I guess that's relative you know but it, it was you could square gardens but wetlands was like what it was eight, like yeah it was like almost a thousand people thousand, yeah. yeah and they it was all strange right they would just pack them in yeah um but so we did have this like good word of mouth going and it started at it started at like the wetlands in the Middle East in Boston and we'd play there. It's another great club. Yeah. And we'd play there and then it would be like by the third time we played there, there'd be lines around the block and, and that, and that was cool. So there was this thing happening and then Napster hit and then we were able to, we were asked to like play a college at, at play Pomona, you know, playing in California and all of a sudden everyone knew the words there. So I think the general was like our gateway song and then people went deeper, but a lot of people said when I first got Napster, the first song that I shared with my mates was this song, The General. So it was kind of like this, almost like this uh, flagship up for that, for file sharing, for people who, I don't know what scene that was, because we were like, weren't quite in the jam scene or college like, the, yeah, maybe the college, college, uh, high school even, you know, we play like we go and play high schools like community centers and stuff so interesting so when that was happening 
Were you like, this fucking rocks? Like, weren't you stoked? I, I was, yeah, but we kind of didn't know any better because we were just kids. You know, we we're like 19, 20. Yeah, so you just like, So just like, this oh, this is, is happening. happening. Yeah. <laughs> it was when I started state radio, <laughs> you know, like six years later. Uh-huh. And, and thought that I, oh, I'm just going to start another band and yeah. I'll take a third of the crowd the third of the dispatch crew right uh, crowd and we'll follow yeah we'll just like we'll just roll yeah and then it's like oh shit you know my wife and i were like starting over yeah and uh you know no one knows that especially if you're not you know and people don't connect the dots as much as you think they are they they like a band but they don't necessarily know that chadwick in that band started another band and that's called stay radio you know so it was like starting over. So it wasn't until then where everybody I was like, doesn't live inside of your head. Turns out <laughs> they don't. <laughs> yeah. Like similar happened to me. And cause I put out my first record and it kind of like went off in France and yeah. that was where it was released first. And so I went over there and I went, you know, from like working minimum wage jobs to like going to France and like having like a lot of people show up and I'm like, okay, this, I guess. And then it was getting, getting ready to come out in America. So I figured, okay, well, this is just going to keep just happening. This is how it goes. Yeah. This is how it goes. And then, you know, I went from playing like big rooms, you know, happening in, in France to like coming in, playing in front of six people in Alabama, you know, like going like, Oh no, what the hell is this? What happened? What happened here? <laughs> Same album. Yeah. You know? It's crazy. <laughs> how- <laughs> yeah. So. I I have these moments sometimes when I'll I'll go do a um or get a random show from like a friend of mine who's like hey do you want to do this I'm like sure and I'll go do it and I'll and it'll be like some miscommunication from the promotion or the people putting it on and I'll I'll find myself in a lobby in Miami playing to no one mm-hmm. as people are walking by and I'm. Saying, I'm singing. I'm basically doing the same exact thing that I did in that I did in front of you know in hundred thousand people in Boston. Right. <laughs> I'm playing the same thing, and no one gives a shit. Yeah. You know, and it's just like this. That's I'm. I'm sure you've had those situations where you're just like more than you can possibly <laughs> imagine, <laughs> Mr. Chadwick. More than you can possibly imagine. I think you're downplaying the Napster thing a little bit because Napster is always like everyone. It was this evil thing that destroyed the music world, and it's it's a very particular era. And yeah, it was the first yeah. file sharing thing. It's like it's like the original um, Spotify or yeah. something. And, and you, you could guys share had it. no radio play, and it's still. It, it was as big as Napster was. You became that big in a way because of it. Yeah, no, that that was huge. That was a, like perfect timing. Um, we didn't have. We were an independent band, you know, unsigned, and so it was like when you had all these big bands saying, "Oh, it's evil" or whatever. We were. You and felt we, like traitors, didn't you? We we felt no. We felt didn't you? <laughs> like come on. I don't think he downplayed it though. He said basically well, no, exactly big, what you but just. It was, it was big. <laughs> well, we I beca- mean, Napster was a big yeah. deal. And Sean Fanning's from and, yeah. and Lars from Metallica going yep. after it and oh, trying right. to shut it down. And it was like. Did you feel like Benedict Arnold? I felt like we were on the. We were like the. We were like the revolution. Like we were the little people rising up, and that, uh. and so Sean Fanning's from Massachusetts as well. Oh, okay. So we were we became friends, and he he started How, Napster. Uh, so did he insert your song at the top of the list or something? Or maybe what? he was a fan, so he must, must he, have been in it. his early playlist. Maybe yeah. it was in the beginning. Uh, and Napster was huge for we, me personally. It yeah, changed my life. All of a sudden, you had access to everything. 
he we went out and um uh we weren't we weren't testifying but we went down to dc to support him during his congressional hearing mm. and you can see us us and chuck d was next to us <laughs> chuck d was on our side and you can see us in the there's like youtube uh, you can see us nodding our heads right behind sean fanning you know and and uh meanwhile there's these like co- you know congressmen and women up there trying to kind of read in the riot act why were you supportive of it though because doesn't it take from musicians ultimately or wasn't that like i'm surprised to hear that that chuck d was in support of it and i'm not yeah, i'm yeah. not even trying to throw a sideways diss towards like no it's I, not like you guys chose to be in that position yeah it's, it's obviously like a good thing for you and anyone would embrace that yeah i think it it gave us a career where right. we wouldn't have had one so we were you might have had a different one in de- yeah different so we were yeah. in some way indebted to that technology yeah that makes sense and uh but what was chuck's d stake in it like why was he going no these guys should be able to do this I, like i think he was uh maybe it was like a you know freedom to like it shouldn't it's it's not, not something the government or anyone should clamp down yeah. on this is like this is he was embracing that like this is the new way well it's interesting because we're like right on the cusp of youtube enacting all kinds of new regulations um you know, and new policies and shutting down many more channel, many people's platforms. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously that started with more extreme right wing leaning things. And, and so people kind of like, like it couldn't really defend that. And cause if you did, then you were called a fascist or whatever, but now it's going into like health food channels and mm. really, really like, wild things like that in terms of what what's your feeling along those lines is it does the uh does the sort of assault maybe on some level of freedom of speech concern you in any kind of way or what it's do you been think? interesting watching like aoc grill zuckerberg about uh and uh who who else was doing that recently um some other really high profile person uh, really coming on hard on Facebook for not fact checking yeah. the like a, an ad, like a Republican ad or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and then Zuckerberg's trying to. He's like, well, I don't. It's not our place to really. You know, we want to let people put out whatever they want. You know, and then and so he's getting a lot of criticism. I I guess I'm not really sure. I I tend to think that, you know, in, in those situations, I tend to be like, whatever AOC is saying, I'm going to take her criticism of Zuckerberg. I'm going to take that seriously because I, I trust where she's going with it as opposed to Zuckerberg, who's just saying, I, he's kind of being like, oh, that freedom should be, should be able to, we're not going to, we're not going to censor anything. You know, we're just going to let people say what they want. What about the YouTube platforms though? Like the health food channels and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know that much about it either. I just, like, there's some YouTube channels I follow that are, like, saying, well, we're going away, and they basically, like, promote, I don't know, vegan diets or this, that, and the other. And it's, like, really? Like, they're getting taken down? It just they're seems, getting forced out? It seems odd. You yeah. know, like, that seems a bit, like, what? Like what's going on here? It's, like, why are, why is there this odd control of the information and then also why is it almost like 
like people who lean left are almost afraid to say, hey, what's up with freedom of speech? And people who lean right are like, hey, what's up with freedom of speech? Like, it's almost like inverse world. Like, uh, like, and if you say, hey, I'm for freedom of speech, suddenly that's almost like you're a fascist. And it's like, yeah. why should me saying, hey, I'm for free speech have any connection to like, I'm a, like once they connect those two things, to me, that's a spooky place the world yeah. is getting into. Yeah. Like, I don't feel point. like I should have to be like a f- concerned if I say, hey, I think freedom of speech is important that I would then get accused of being in any way a fascist. Yeah. Like, and the fact that that's even a, a, a sentence I could say is concerning. Yeah. Well, that's what they're kind me. of accusing Zuckerberg of it is kind of that, uh, that propaganda, like, like being a conduit for propaganda. Right. But it's a slippery slope because I like, uh, you know, it's like, cause it starts with like removing Alex Jones, but then it goes to removing vegan channels or, or channels that are promoting alternative health things and then so suddenly it seems like big pharma's involved and all that kind of stuff not to go all political and, and controversial and I, I you know i know these are sensitive things to talk about so we can go back to like big, <laughs> big talking, talking about other things let's get into big pharma evil, but I, evil but i'm just saying you know it's like it's just uh it's interesting because the, the reason i brought it up is just because of the napster connection yeah. too like yeah. that was like a, um you know I think Napster didn't have any money involved in it, which was what was different about the mm. whole thing. Mm. It wasn't like YouTube or Facebook. I think we're going to get taken ads. off of YouTube just by me <laughs> saying. But honestly, though, we are honestly like just even saying what I just right, said. Right. Google has shut us down like, already. This, we're, this is not happening. Like, this is like we're done. <laughs> like, this episode. Our, you know, I was, I'm like, glad to be part of your final thank you. podcast. Well, <laughs> episode 60, by the way. Wow. Yeah. 6-0. Uh, yeah, this is it. 60, right? Congratulations. So, well, okay, getting off of that topic then. I wish that wasn't a sensitive subject though. To me that is to me that's alarming that that is a sensitive subject. I Yeah. I feel that's alarming. That connection between fascism and free speech that you spoke of is that's a that's one to dive we could dive deep in that. Do you want to, or do you want to go off of it? You probably don't want to. I like, and I don't. I don't want to. I'm not either. sure I would have much insight. Yeah, but I, it, I am. A, I am. It does. Does it concern you? Yeah, I, I'm concerned. You know, I, I feel like it's not as easy to figure out where we're at anymore. Like it's getting more confusing and more extreme. I like. I um. Who's that? Tulsi. What's her name? Tulsi. Gabbard? Yeah. Gabbard? I, I saw her interview on Joe Rogan. I really like where she was coming from. Hmm. She seemed very, like, I don't know, just measured and just, like, and also she spoke on the whole, like, let, you know, we should protect people's right to express themselves, but she's also, I think, left-leaning. and She's a Democrat, you know, so it's like, I don't know. She seemed like a interesting candidate to yeah. me. But, you know. The, the uh, this whole... This is going to be fascinating. It's going to be wild, dude. Hold on to your so- hold on to your socks. I don't even th- I don't know what that means. I don't know, I don't know why I pick socks. To hold I like on that. To, but yeah. I like, like that. Just let's hold on. Hold on. Keep those feet. Well, it's a good time to, covered. It's a good time to make music. It's a good time to express these ideas and these fears and these thoughts within songs. I feel like yeah. that might be actually a safer 
conduit than even just speaking directly about them because yeah. I don't know songs. Is, what do you think on that? Do yeah, you, Billy Bragg said that once, something like that. You can say things in a song that you can't just say. That's right. Like we're doing now. You know, we can. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this into a song. <laughs> <laughs> Save yourself. Yeah. Uh, Hold on to your socks. Mm-hmm. Just Hold on to your socks. <laughs> it's getting weird, folks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a, it is a crazy time. I, 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 when Trump was first elected, I could not, I was almost, I was in shock for months. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, people were asking, Did, are you writing a lot of political stuff? And mm. I, 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 no, I, I couldn't process it. Yeah. Um, but recently it's all I can write about. So I need to like, I need to wean myself off that because my, I'm becoming very one dimensional. Right. So, uh, I've had, I think, I guess I, I just need a little time and now it's all, it's all coming out, but it, it's like, oh, here's another song about this or that. And it's, what are you, writing, a bit so- what are you writing songs about? Um, just like what a criminal he is, uh, and like the, the craziness of how, uh, there's so many who are locked up in this country, uh, who aren't even convicted, you know, mm. cause they can't pay, pay bail or they're on. Uh, minor drug offenses and they get thrown in jail and uh, mm. you know largely uh, black men or, or men of color and um, and here we have this white privileged man who's what he's doing is so much more harmful than and and here he is almost celebrated you know so I so that that kind of push and pull on on, on what's happening there um, what's that song called once just One's called Criminal, just right for right now, that's its working title. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, you know, has lyrics like, uh, like you're, you're, you've dry fucked your soul so many times. It's, you know, it's, it's wait, wait. disintegrated. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's, and then there's and then so that song's like just about kind of Trump how how crazy this is that mm-hmm. he's that he's like this just this uh, megalomaniac you know yeah. um, narcissist narcissist who's 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 uh, who's doing things that are are indeed criminal yet yet you know of course he's uh, well shit's happening now with some of the impeachment but um, but com- you know his his reality. And even even understanding my own reality as a white male, you know, mm-hmm. and how much easier things have been for me as opposed to someone who grew up 45 minutes from me or whatever in the city, uh, you know, my black friends growing up in the different reality they have had in their life. And, mm-hmm. I, and I feel like that's a continuing evolution. And um, and we do a lot of work with uh, my wife and I's organization is, is called Calling All Crows. And we, we do a bunch of work that in keeping with the alias fund and over the years, but in different areas of the world. And the last couple of years we've been, uh, focusing on our, our industry and domestically and the sexual violence and assault that happens at shows. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so also understanding the different reality of being a woman and walking into a rock show, going to see a show Mm -hmm. than it is for us. You know, I never thought when I was going to see, whatever bands in Boston, like oh, I got to look over my shoulder. Um, 
Right. I might get groped tonight and, and or just to have that nervous feeling or that anxiety. I never felt that, you know, so I'm, mm. there's been a big, uh, you know, I'd say for me, I'm continuing to learn about the different reality, uh, you know, that is that is not mine and, right. uh, and thinking about that. Um, so I think that's that's been a big part of our life too the last few years. There's a massive awakening, I guess, going on right now. Yeah, in a way too. Yeah, it's uh, I guess all I guess yeah the you know the so much information that people can teach themselves about all kinds of things and of course the Me Too movement and everything like that has like woken people up. Yeah, 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 and but there's all the Me Too as an I talked to some guys who are kind of bristle at the Me Too movement, and actually, we talked to a uh, a mother who kind of bristled at it too. Like, there's it's interesting the different takes that I didn't uh, I didn't see coming. One mom said uh, she kind of rolled her eyes at the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. and I, and that's the first time I'd seen a woman do that. And we were like, "What do you what's what are you getting at?" She's like, "Oh, my teenage daughters, you know, it's like I don't want my child." Uh, thinking she has to fill some kind of victim quota mm. or like, like status. If you, if you have a victim story, you know, you go kind of hunting for it so that you have this status. I, I don't mm. know. It, it, maybe it's too derivative of the, I think it's too derivative of like the, what the accountability that these men need to face, you know? Mm. And, and I think it's a good, I, we are, I feel really, I feel really, I feel so thankful that the Me Too movement happened and that, that it's happening and that there is this accountability that's happening for, for men and they can't get away with X, Y, and Z like they could uh, before or for it to be celebrated, you know. So I think it's, I think it's very important, but it is funny the, the different reactions mm. that we get. Well, it's complicated. Yeah, it's I mean, people are, people are complicated, yeah. so therefore it's complicated. But yeah. where's the organization? How can people contribute? And, what, and what's it called? Crow? Uh, calling All Crows. Calling All Crows. What's that yeah. name mean? That came from a song uh, about kind of wo- woman and women empowerment. And um, the whole organization is based on kind of gender, like women's rights and gender equality. Yeah, and over the years we've done diff- a bunch of different campaigns, and this one is here for the music. And, um, it's called, and it's we've done a bunch of uh, trainings before shows with the venue staff and fans who come early to the shows to do. Um, they're called active bystander trainings, where you talk about the different situations that happen, and you give these tools to either cope with being assaulted or when you see something it gives you ways to de-escalate before the show and like, so this we go through this training like a half an hour training before the show yeah you go on stage and talk to yeah the we'll audience. be like in a corner we'll be in a corner not like the proper show oh, okay it'll be like three hours earlier oh, I see. and we'll be in we'll set up chairs in a room like this in like the green room and we'll just talk about it and we have uh and fans come and yeah and, and other bands have taken it on too that they'll they like uh, Calling All Crows, people who work for Calling Crows will go out and tour with other bands and do the same for them. Interesting. And, and uh, what will they say? Like, just give me an example. Like, sure. Like, what, you mean the bystander stuff? Well, just like I'm curious. Well, like, like the, so people come to the venue and yep. they sit like sort of classroom style. Yeah. And it's like what 30, 40 people yeah. or more. Okay. Yeah. Like a not not yep. the whole audience, but like thirty. 40. Right, right, right. Not everyone wants and to then, come to a bystander training <laughs> before the show. Uh, imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so and then do you teach or is there specific like? 
teachers there. I've done it, but I'm not as good as uh-huh. as w- our executive director Kim is amazing at it. And and sometimes Sybil and I will do it. And what will you say? What will what will so do? there's this whole there's kind of like a script that we go through. Yeah, and um, the one of the main uh, ideas is like these. You know, you can delay. You can delay. You can uh, distract. You, it's like four Ds. Uh, Basically, this is if in case of a woman's in a situation yeah. where she's getting gross. Could be a man or a woman, but yeah, any any kind of thing where it's like the power dynamics being abused, or or um, usually it's like a, a classic situations like an older man and a younger woman, but uh-huh. but it could be anything, any gender, and and you, we even pass out these scripts where we role play. This was when we first did it. This was the most uncomfortable thing. Um, and you're like you you have different situations and you're with like you switch you you break off into groups and then right. you, you do that situation just to get get in the practice because it is it acting is, out the situation yeah and, and it is it's like creepy dude yeah or, it's or like okay girl. i'll be the creepy dude you be like you be like the unassuming girl i like that i'd rather then, be the unassuming girl <laughs> than the creepy you, dude. you know you're the you're the the security you know and but there's stuff like you know distract seems to be the, the most popular one where you kind of go up to that situation and you say, Hey, do, do you know where the bathroom is or something? You know, you give that person an out, um, you just kind of break up that, the energy of that scene or, or you just get or you close. Say, you say to the person who's being creepy, do you know where the bathroom Either is? Either one or, or Hey, will you take this picture of me and my friend, you know, like, or, uh, or you just kind of hang out there for a second and, and try to get a bead because you, you never really know what's going on uh, until until you until you get a little bit more information but you also don't want to wait until it escalates because the if you catch something happening before it escalates then you you're you're um you're you interjecting into that situation doesn't also have it doesn't have to be like throwing a bomb in the in the middle of a you know you don't have to like get in his face or whatever mm-hmm. you can just kind of before it gets there you can kind of try to like just give that person an out and be like, Hey, can I, you know, do you, you know, have Almost you ever like dismantling a bomb? Yeah. You just way. be like, Hey, have you ever seen this? Did you see this poster over here or something? You know, you can do something where it's like, you just kind of take the energy out of the situation and give that person an out. And that person might be like, what are you talking about? And then you're like, okay, cool. You know? So, you know, I can't say that I've, I've done it. You know, there's probably been a handful of times where it's now that I'm, I kind of know what to look for and know kind of, I used to think if you saw something, you'd have to like get in that guy's face. Right. And, and, Mm -hmm. but it's better. You don't have to do that. Yeah. It's, it's almost like more Zen like or something. Yeah. Zen Zen approach or something. Yeah. Did, how did you come to, how did you come to this conclusion to start this organization? I mean, what, what was the impetus? I think we were, because we were, did you hear about a bunch of situations and you're like, we got to change this? Yeah. I think a lot of, like fans coming back to us about certain shit that's happened at shows mm. or just, just talking like, it's the kind of thing. Like once you start talking about it, more and more information and the statistics are amazing about how many women. So we got hired by, by uh, Superfly, which is a promoter for Bonnaroo and a bunch of other, mm. uh, some of the, some of the festival promoters have hired calling all crows to go down and be a presence in, and do some trainings at the big festivals. And so our crew would go down there and, um, you know, something like 85% of women who are going to these concerts have at one point been sexually assaulted, you know, some, some crazy stats, you know? And so, mm-hmm. um, 
so once we just started uh, thinking about it and it, you know, it kind of percolated up, there's, Oh, like, there's this story, there's this story. Okay. There's, and we'd also been so, um, we'd kind of been international in our, in, in where we were pointing our energy. And so it was, it also felt good to kind of swing back here and be like, well, what, what can we do here and, and focus on our own industry and, you know, felt like it was like kind of a natural thing to do if we are a women's rights organization and here's the shit that's happening right you know it's not happening in sudan or afghanistan it's just like this shit right right in front of us and have you gotten any feedback of like situations that have been dismantled due to this program yeah we've gotten some good feedback sometimes too when we're doing the training some people will speak up and say this this happened to me uh at your show, you know, two years ago or whatever, you know, you get so, and it, it, so that's also like, it's troubling, but it's also like, okay, well, I'm glad we're doing this because it's, um, I think, you know, I, I, the, you know, you think of a, uh, show like a Motley Crue or something, or you're like, where it's kind of, they just but this is happening. Stadium tour, the, Motley <laughs> Crue and Poison, and uh, they could, kidding. they definitely could use you. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Motley Crue. Yeah, but you should do it in front of the entire stadium. What is it? It's Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Def Leppard, yeah, Poison, and, Poison and, Joan Jett. and Joan Jett. Joan Jett. This summer, a Joan Jett documentary was amazing. I didn't see it. Oh, it's, is it on Netflix? I saw it on the plane. Oh, okay. Delta. I gotta check that out. It's really good. Okay. It's like it's it's really cool it talks about like the early days and mm. so you didn't uh, watch so raw the dirt. i haven't read or watched <laughs> the dirt but I, I wouldn't mind that's pretty good so so going back to like your kind of like in, entrance into the music business though that you, so you went to college in new york right i went to college for a year in vermont oh okay and then i went to the new school new here school. in new york and then and then uh i went to NYU for what'd, another what'd few you months. What did you study? I was in Gallatin, so you could you could kind of choose your own adventure, uh-huh. and I never finished. So I was kind of doing whatever classes looked cool. Most like of those were like becoming an adult sort of thing. Yeah, most of those were like there were some music classes. Some, some I like history, so there was a bunch of history classes and like politics and some writing. I think um, also played on the NYU club hockey team. Really, that was. That was you fun, pl- too. You play hockey? Yeah. <laughs> How'd you learn that? Well, I grew up playing ponds, uh, playing a lot of pond hockey. And then our team, our high school team was folding because not enough kids were, because it's a small town, so not enough kids were playing hockey. So a bunch of us, a bunch of us, like basketball players and skiers, we, we quit our sports and we joined the hockey team and we were just a bunch of, like, bad news bears on skates like a mm. bunch of stoners yeah on the ice getting our ass kicked yeah but we'd played funny. we'd played so much in the ponds we had lights over the over the ponds in our town so we'd play till like three in the morning that sounds fun it's so much fun do you still play yeah yeah now i'm gonna get i'm trying to get my kids in it it's the one thing i'm forcing my kids to do that's cool it's <laughs> good I've, i just like went to a party the other night and this guy told me this uh because I got way into athletics recently. I mean, about four years ago, I got into boxing, and then I'm, like, super into yoga. I go Whoa. every day. Whoa. Yeah, I went today. I'm going to go after this podcast. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I'm, like, obsessed with That's it. That's a life. It's I love it. But, yeah. um, and I, like, would judge my sort of love of athletics in a way because it has this kind of knucklehead 
vibe to it too. Like not yoga so not much, yoga. but like you know, if you're into that, music, yeah, yeah, it's like anti-intellectual on some level. Yeah, and it, yeah. Well, the the jock thing never doesn't really match with the muso thing either right, too exa- well. Exactly. But then this guy at this party, who's like a biologist or something, he said, told me this, and it clicked. It was like the brain arose to facilitate movement. Like that is the ultimate purpose of the brain. Like organisms that have brains move. Organisms like plants that don't don't oh, yeah. move. And so he said the whole purpose of the brain is to facilitate movement. Wow. So when you're in motion, that's actually when your brain is operating on, on, at, at its best. Yeah. And even like working on things like art or if you have a personal problem and you go on a run and you ask your brain like, hey, help me out with this. Now let me go run. Your brain will like, like the connections into yeah. your subconscious will open up more and everything like that. Once he told me that. I just was like, okay, now I know why I'm into this. Wow, yeah, that's cool. So it's good that you're forcing your kids to do that. Have you been doing other things besides boxing and and yoga? Boxing and yoga, and I run. I'm running on these barefoot shoes. Oh, my brother has those. I love them. He loves them. I just tried them on for the first time. I got the toe ones, too, but I just got these yesterday, the ones with just the goofy toe box. Yeah. But it makes running so fun because it's like you have to be very conscious of how you're running and that makes running not boring. Right. When you have to be conscious of every motion, it actually just makes it really fun. You would think it'd be like, Oh, this is a pain in the ass. I don't want to think it's the opposite. Where do you run? I just run around the city. I run the East river a lot. Cause you live in Manhattan. I live in Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you live? I live, we live right on the Boston line in a town called Milton. Mm. So you stayed kind of local. Stay pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, but that's cool. Those 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 are awesome. Yeah, so that's cool that you're uh, doing that with your kids, though. Yeah, yeah, they don't. They yeah. They don't think so. They they kind of think they're they're basically the same age. They're a year apart, so they. How old are they? They're seven and six, yeah. and then there's a two year old too. But that's nice. Congratulations. Thanks. It's it's fun. It is fun to watch them out there, and uh, but I was thinking about that movement thing. I I do uh, a bit of like. I like trees a lot and so or gardening and it is that wild thing when you are like pruning a tree mm-hmm. and that feeling of like being able to move is like compared to them you know they'll live 300 years and movement's just a different it's just relative to them you mm-hmm. know we're this like these little like bees you know buzzing around it's very pretty inconsequential except we have this ability to move our hands and to move everything we do is yeah. movement and eye, so we can movement writing everything it's movement we can free a, a tree that's you know a tree that's fallen on another tree we can go and and fix that and if we didn't do that that tree would be over that smaller tree for the rest of time you mm-hmm. know so but all it takes for us is like a little you know just a little bit of Little, and we little can do movement. it. It's crazy being human. It is crazy. Well, there's like this. I went down a rabbit hole when I got home from that party, and I like you know Google. The information isn't been taken off yet. <laughs> like where <laughs> like you know brain arose to facilitate movement. You throw that in the old search engine, and then it t- it took me down this thing where this organism that does move in the early stages of its life, and but it atta- it's like a sea creature, and then it attaches itself to a rock, and that's where it's going to be forever forever and at that point it it digests its nervous system like that's how much the brain is 
to facilitate movement. Like this thing has a <laughs> brain, and then it, and then as soon as it's attached, it's like not going to need you anymore. Right. Your calories now. I'll just eat you. It eats its own brain, basically. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I think that's pretty interesting. Yes. I wonder if we'll ever do that to ourselves. Well, we try to. We try to through meditation in some kind of way, like stop the incessant thoughts and all that kind of stuff. And and um, do you stay still? Do you practice any kind of um, conscious, like manifestation stuff? Like, do you pay attention to your thoughts? Do you direct your thoughts? Uh, uh, I think about a time when I'll be able to do that. Meditation, <laughs> but I always I always kick it down the line. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, things are just so with with the three little kids, I guess, or just myself. These are just excuses. But well, no, I mean, whatever. It's crazy. You, um, you probably do man. Uh, medit- you're obviously successful at manifesting a great life, man. So no, uh, maybe. No, no need to kick yourself. We did. We did. Uh, the my the best moments for me at home. It's like we kind of the way alias sleeps we all sleep in one room mm-hmm. and and we have two mattresses right next to each other that's in the amazing room. and so the whole family yeah so that's five kind of, of beautiful, us beautiful dude so it's though and they all and did you and you adopted that from being in zimbabwe yeah i think and yeah basically it's like what well, they you know in other cultures they that's yeah it's not just that, in our culture that it's not acceptable and the, carmen sleeps with y'all Right. I enjoy. I have an eight-year-old, but yeah. ever since the last, I don't know, couple of years, she just came into the bed, and it's impossible to get her out. But now we're slowly reversing that. But yeah. I have friends in Israel who sleep like six or seven of them in one mattress, yeah. and they're like, "This is this is how it's supposed to be." Yeah, we have our mattress tucked in a corner, you know, so it it can. Sometimes we'll do the fan, so it'll be like, it'll be like my wife, you know, our feet will all go like this, and sometimes we'll be like this, mm-hmm. <laughs> like our heads are in a fan. Uh, when it gets a little crowded when we're all like five you know in a row but mm-hmm. it's nice to fan out and then we get a little a bit more room three is, is a cr- but you're talking anything past three is like yeah well, logistics but well they got two mattresses yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they got two mattresses they don't they, but the thing up. is they probably they, two king size right the, the two kings next to each other that's and a lot of that's a lot of real it, estate right? it is <laughs> that's a lot of real estate the thing estate. is we, two, kings. two kings but we end we end up on one though we end up on yeah, one every night all five mom, yeah, yeah. Oh, one king gets gets uh, do they fight who if, sleeps next to mommy and a, a little bit yeah, a little bit but the, typically the um, t- so they sleep in three are in one and and Sybil and I are in the other and then first the two-year-old comes over at like 2.30 in the morning mm-hmm. and she usually she actually usually goes to sleep with Sybil but she'll come to me in those situations so then I got her locked in and then the boy comes at like 3.30 he <laughs> locks in with the mom mm-hmm. and then the oldest girl the seven-year-old comes at like 4 4.30 and she comes to my left usually so it's usually like Frida me Charlie Bird Ellie Sybil. That's so amazing. I, I think that's amazing. That's as that's as good as I get to my meditation. That's like yeah, my happy my no, happy space. Is. That's definitely. I mean, it's not. I don't. I don't know. I'm no expert on meditation. <laughs> I, I try to do it. Like whatever. Yeah. I, like, you know. So that's really cool. How'd you guys? Was that a decision to like keep everybody in the same room, or do I don't know? I think just naturally. Yeah, because we had a room set up for them where at first they were sleeping in that. Mm-hmm. 
and then we had the room in our in our bedroom for another king like we didn't you know it, it's we live in a small cape but and there but there's and there's two bedrooms upstairs but our room's big enough and just like shaped enough so a king fit like perfectly into this nook just to this right of ours so mm-hmm. uh i get a i guess i i credit my wife with just being like yeah let's just all sleep together and i'm like great because yeah. i grew up on the farm we my brothers and i we all slept in this loft the yeah. three of us so we were always communal it was always communal you know and we'd always listen to music you know every night we'd we'd listen to music going to sleep and we'd climb up the ladder and there was four mattresses up there and we'd have it'd be like be like ben me willie and then our metco student gerald who came in from who got busted in from the city uh-huh. metco uh, student yeah it's like a bunch of the kids in like dorchester and roxbury um african-american kids would get would come out and come to our school right. it's called like metco i forget what it stands for but and some some families like kind of adopt those kids and so we kind of did yeah gerald jones was our that's awesome. <laughs> he was rad. So he had his mattress <laughs> and then Willie and Ben and me. So we all slept up there anyways. Yeah, it was super fun. So I think it was a little carryover from that. And then Sybil just being like, yeah, let's just do that. Like, that's the, it seems easier. And, and me being like, great. How has becoming a family man and being a father like affected your, your craft? Um, it kind of takes over. Uh, but it's not something you mind. Uh, you, the time is hard. It's hard to find time mm-hmm. to really get in. You but know. isn't it there the, that thing, like if you want something done, make sure you ask a busy person to do it? Maybe, yeah. Bit. It is true. Like I'll have, like, because Charlie Bird, our youngest, is still at home. So my my wife and I, she works too. So we'll we'll split up the the week. And so we'll just hand her off to each other as the other one works. Where so, does she work? So she's a interior designer and uh, uh, does a lot of like architectural rebuild type stuff. When it, she like designs other people's interiors, do they think she's nuts for suggesting two king size beds in their bedroom? <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, as a designer, she's very careful not to impose her own. She wants to, she <laughs> wants to she wants to pour gas on there. So here you want two king size. You're like what? <laughs> um, yeah, it was. She grew up with six brothers and sisters. So wow. So she's. And they had, a, you know, lived in a small house. So they, their house was very communal by necessity or just because, the, the, you know, they were confined, you know, eight people confined. Within. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their house growing up, too, I didn't know them. They were a couple of towns over, but their house, too, was like anyone who had trouble with their parents would go to the Gallagher's house. Mm. So their house just had, if you went, well, even when we first met, I'd go over there and there'd be like, three, four other kids I didn't know there, along with their six kids That's all around the dinner table. Um, it was fun. So, um, but so with Charlie Bird, it's like, it is kind of like, okay, she's napping. I have like, I know I have an hour and a half or two hours to really, and I need that because I'm kind of flaky and kind of like a, a ADD, you know, so I, it is kind of helpful to just be like, all right, I, I have this time. I got to fucking right. kick myself in the ass to try to finish some tunes. Do you tour still a lot? Yeah, we've been, well, Dispatch got back together. Uh, we have like kind of a rebirth in the last like th- two years. And so we did a big tour. We've done some big summer tours. Uh-huh. And 
in between that I've done uh, just we just released a solo record and now we're on the beginning of a Chadwick Stokes and the Pintos mm-hmm. tour and so last night was our first night of that I, lo- I love that album cover yeah that's great that's is that the band member and that's Charlie Bird that's Ellie Van oh, that's the boy the, oh okay yeah. sorry yeah, Ellie. so he's like <laughs> he's like five. Well, the reason that. I thought it was um, maybe a little girl is because it says the future is still. I know. Female. Well, it's good and you can so, kind of. And he has. So then I like just. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's cute. I I that right. I said that's a reference to her. In my yes. I said it. I thought well, his name is his name is Ellie too, and oh, he has okay. hair like down to here. Yeah, now. it's long hair. So, he, so yeah. you, everyone thinks he's a girl. Yeah. But I I did like that he was a bit androgynous mm-hmm. on the cover, and he's on my brother Willie's. So, Okay, shoulder and, yeah i was wondering that is that like because uh, i was like where are you yeah i'm not there <laughs> that's funny but my brother and my son are there it's a cool album cover well it's funny because uh but I, but I, but i would think people would think the album's called the future is still female i almost we almost wanted to do that but it yeah. that picture wasn't like so thought out you know and i uh, that statement is a bit uh I didn't. I think it was enough just to have it in the picture, as right. opposed to make. So we did like a eponymous, yeah. So we or whatever. Well, like maybe the future. It is. We've. It's brought up a lot of discussion. You know, maybe mm-hmm. why does it have to be female? Why can't it be gender fluid or binary? Or well, or, exactly. Yeah. That's the pro, that's the thing about that kind of thing. It's like it's exclusive. It's exclusive. Yeah, we uh, still believe know. in that. I believe in the huge to be a huge power shift away from men and towards women. Yeah, and that will make every society better. Probably, but it is it is uh, it's not something I wanted to double down on with yeah. the name. No, it's a good photo though. It's a good it's a good album cover. Thanks. I, yeah, and those I are like the bandmates. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering then yeah. if you're not on it. Right, everyone else is. But you're kind of egoless, man. <laughs> to not put yourself in the mix. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been on an album cover, but but uh, it wasn't by design that I wasn't there. If it was a good picture. And I was in it. It would have gone on. I, right. I wasn't like I wasn't so egoless that I was like, I oh, know I don't want that. Yeah. So it's just kind of like it was the it was, it had the most kind of mojo of all the shit we were looking at for covers. Right. It's got some serious mojo I, to it. On the on the when Dispatch started up up again two years ago, I'm on the cover with I'm naked on the cover. So. Oh, okay, so you got it. Yeah. You got it, got it worked it's my, out. There. It's my backside. Yeah. Full male nudity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> full frontal. No. <laughs> full backle. Full backle. <laughs> so, are what what kind of shows are you guys playing with dispatchers at huge places or? There, they'll be like they're not like the gardens, you right. know. It, but they're, um, we did the tennis center. Forest Hill Stadium. Forest Hill Stadium. So it was like small. That's huge, dude. Yeah. I mean, for most people. Yeah, no, no. It it feels huge to me. I mean, yeah. uh, So we're still doing, we're doing like the the Greek in LA. That's great. uh, So you're doing well. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, you know, the dispatch thing, I have to pinch myself because I keep thinking it'll kind of go away. But but the resurgence has been helpful because we're on the radio for the first time and people really embraced the new records. We had two new records and. So it did kind of like it started gaining its own, its own momentum. But this is out. This with is without one of our original members. It's a bassist, Pete what Francis. Oh. Uh, and you met him in college. Who's who you started the band with? Yeah, right? he's who I went up to at my. It was f- called Thrush. Hermit Thrush. Yeah. 
Okay, one of the, not not loving that band name. <laughs> Isn't thrush like a, like, like a, a mouth disease? Yeah, dude. I know that's why I think it's cool. <laughs> no, it's it's actually good. It's good. But uh, trust I mean, me, dude, it's good. It's good, bro. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's better than any other band names I've yeah. been a part of. I think Dispatch is cool. It's all right. It's you a, don't like it? I like it. I like it. We were One Fell Swoop before oh, we cool. were Dispatch, and Dispatch is better than One Fell Swoop. Yeah, Dispatch I like. Yeah, it's it's like. It's easy enough. Yeah. So and it I, can mean like to kill or it can mean like get the word out. Yeah. That's cool. To kill. Maybe you should do both. <laughs> kill and get the word out. Get the yeah. kill it be killed. What order? I don't know. That's a that's a deep I'm gonna have to go on a run and get back to you on that. <laughs> get my brain going for that one. But so uh Pete Francis you met in yeah. at the new school? I met him. No, I met him in Vermont, in Vermont. And he was his band was playing our orientation, my freshman orientation. Yeah. And I went up to him and I said, "I play the trombone." <laughs> As you do. And he said, "All right, I, I need one of those." He goes, "I need one of those." And so I, we, I started playing trombone. I was gonna make a joke. I was like, "I need one of those." No, I don't. I need you know, but that's a bad joke. Cause and then I I said I play guitar and have some songs too, and started working those into him. And yeah. And what what was special about the collaboration? that made it become what it became well then we and he was playing with this other guy and then we dropped hermit thrush and and joined forces with this other guy we were a trio and uh i i think it was um well pete and i were roommates too we became roommates mm-hmm. not long after that and so we were very close very intimate and like uh just like best friends, you know, and, and in the band together. And um, Brad was a little older than us. And, um, but I think it was this singing, like Pete has this like very um, full voice. And then Brad, who's like a master of harmonies, just naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Brad and I have a similar voice, more reedy. And so the combination of Brad's like technical skills with his harmony. And Pete's full voice rounding it out. Um, it was kind of like that vocal blend uh, that that I thought you know made the band special. Mm. And you guys just put out a record, and yeah, we went re- we put out a record in the Graveyard Shift in Denver, Colorado. We messed up the time, and they said, "Well, you guys can come in at 9 p.m. every night for two weeks," and so we did that. 9 to 3 a.m., 9 to 4. In Denver? Yeah. Why? How are you in Denver? The, the Brad was from Denver. Oh, so you guys traveled out to yeah. Denver to record. Yeah, we drove a Westphalia out there and recorded our first record there. Interesting. And that was the one that Napster kind of picked up on? That, or, um, or was it no, it's one? the next one. That's the next a, one. Alias is the last song on that one, Yeah. on the first one. But it's but it was the next it, the general and, and bang bang and two coins you know these other the probably the other big biggest songs were on the next hit. record. And then so how did you wind up going to Real World when you went to Real World on, on, for your solo stuff? I I think I'd put out a a list of producers I wanted to work with, uh-huh. and I remember Chad. I remember driving back from Buffalo in the rain in the van, and being like. And our manager saying, uh, Chad Blake's interested. We'd sent him the demos. Okay. And he said he was interested. I remember talking to him like, you know, like you're talking to a god or something. 
Yeah. Like, is this really happening? Was it soul coughing that was yeah. like inspiring you to call yeah. Chad? It was the first time I'd ever looked, know, known what a producer was. It's when I looked to be like, how are they getting this sound? Mm-hmm. What's a producer do? I didn't really know any of that. Right. But I saw produced by Chad Blake. And it, he was the first guy I ever connected a name with that occupation. Right. That's interesting. So then to talk to kind of for me too, because like when I first went to real world to get like when I got signed and they were looking for producers, you know, Chad was like one of the guys that was, you know, loomed large. Yeah. You know, Brian Eno as well. Yeah. 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 The big names. Yeah. But, uh, what, so what did working with Chad do to your music? I love Chad and, and he, he, I guess it just formed how I worked in the studio ever since. Oh, yeah. You know, like get in there, play the songs like four times, and he'd be like, this track sounds like a record, but this, the next take sounds dangerous. I want to go with that. You know, like this sounds polished and good, and you mm-hmm. guys are on the click, or, or you're not on the click, but you're on, you're on time with each other. It sounds just right. But but this other track is this next take is a little bit off the rails has that little right. something so I liked how he had the confidence I would have never had it, the confidence to like go with that mm-hmm. latter track and so I, ever since then I've when you're when you're choosing which take to take from the band I always think about him right going the, that that line between you know something being like lame and amazing is really yeah. thin yeah. You know, or something that like kind of sucks, yeah. but is actually genius. But when you're, but when he's saying it, you're, you're just like, yes. It's really that, like the producer is somebody who, who imbues you with that real confidence to make the dangerous choices. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah. And he, he encapsulates that. For sure. Better than just about anybody I know. Yes. So that album's yeah. like fast and it's just, it's kind of charging. Yeah. Um. And before that, you didn't ever think of your albums as even being produced. They were just things you recorded. Or we, yeah, you, we did them or self produced. Yeah, but you weren't even thinking along those lines. You were just like, we're just recording. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. They got a lot better. Yeah. With him. <laughs> yeah. Our early recordings are are bad. We they're have, okay. He has a two o'clock hard stop because he's got to what go. Time so is it? We got five minutes. Oh, okay. So, uh, I'd hate to wrap it up, but we we have to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, is there time for that? He, when you weren't here, Joe, he did two songs from the new album, mm-hmm. which, which were great for a session. And you told that story about the, your favorite drummer. Yeah. About, uh, is there time for that? Is there is that a five? You want to hear story? the full story? Yeah. Joe sure, didn't yeah. hear it, and it's really sure. Like, you appreciate it. I, think. Uh, I can't wait. Um, so through uh, a song on that Chad Blake record called Gang of Thieves, uh-huh. um, Tom Morello became a fan of that song okay. and then, and would play it on his radio station that he was playing it. And then, and then what radio station he had like a, he on had like Sirius a little, yeah, like a precursor to the night watchman oh, okay. kind of radio thing. Uh, I don't know if you know, Tom. I do. He played with my band Fistful of Mercy with Ben Harper and Danny Harrison. We nice. Did, we did Conan and yeah. Tom played oh. with us. Amazing. He he is amazing. Um, and he really should be a talk show host. Yeah, he's <laughs> very very uh, yeah outgoing and intelligent. Yeah, he's amazing. So yeah. so Tom, um, I became 
we became friends because then he asked State Radio to uh, join him on his on his Night Watchman tour around the country. Freedom and Fighters he, Orchestra. Yeah, I don't know. It was with like Perry Farrell and um, uh, Wayne Kramer from MC5, and uh, so it was a group of us touring. And he also got State Radio to open up for Rage Against the Machine in 2008 at the DNC. Uh, it was a big show at the Denver Coliseum that State Radio opened up for him. Um, and State Radio is? Is my band post after Dispatch, kind of okay. while Dispatch was broken up. Right. So my, my career is like Dispatch, State Radio, and then like and then Solo. Solo. So then we were playing in that, we were on that tour with Tom, and we're playing the Troubadour. And it's sold out, and all of Tom's friends are there, mm-hmm. which may be some of your friends. Big L.A. Vibes. Yeah, it was like Slash, mm-hmm. Flea, Stuart Copeland, who I thought was Ray Manzarek from The Doors. Mm-hmm. Although, thankfully, I didn't say anything. Right, no uh, pressure. Uh, no pressure Cypress, at all. Cypress Hill is there. Steve Vai is there. Wow, Steve um, Vai, like that would have done me in. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to go on. <laughs> it was, it was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. The 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 names and the people who were there. Um, you know, the Dave Navarro, um, Jerry Cantrell, you know, some, all my heroes, cause my heroes were all like that, that scene, that like early nineties scene, mm-hmm. LA and Seattle. Jane's addiction. was like my, yeah, like my teenage fantasies. So yeah. we're, so we're doing this huge show and we're playing state radios so that we're the only band there. And it's like all these stars, you know, whatever. How come all the stars came out just to, like, cause it's for LA time or like, yeah. and you guys were happening. Or? Not really. I'm sure it was just for, just to hang with Tom. Uh, I mean, it must've been y'all too. That's nice of you to think so. I'll, I'll think so myself <laughs> from, sure. from here on. But, uh, so it was, a, it was just a crazy show. And then, uh, Travis Barker's there and Stuart Copeland I mentioned, but anyway, so then, but Brad Wilk, the drummer for Rage Against the Machine was turned away by the bouncer unrecognized. Wow. Um, wasn't so, he on the guest list or no? No, no, I think <laughs> I, I don't know. T- yeah, obviously not. So, it, so it's a song about my favorite living drummer, not being able to let, let into a, uh, to a venue that I'm in the inside of. And I try to do like the American pie thing where I tease all these names uh-huh. in the song in a slightly different way. You know, I say like the chorus is like, I've seen roses and I've seen guns, hills of Cypress blinking in the sun. So it's like, Keep I just, going. uh, hills of Cypress blinking in the sun. There's a flea in the machine. Yeah, I saw Alice addicted to Jane. She had her wrapped up in chains. This is great. And the <laughs> and the so. police, they were all the rage. Uh, and the door was thin, but the but my favorite living drummer was not let in. And the bouncers reading the Rats of Nim, but my favorite dr- living drummer is not let in. Great, dude. That's a great <laughs> lyric, regardless of even the story. <laughs> Just in and of itself. Uh, do you do that a lot? Do you take things out of life and, and make them into songs? Or usually it's, it's not. Extreme? That's like more coherent yeah, and extreme yeah. Than, than usual. And too bad Nuno Benicourt wasn't there. Then you could have said extreme. Yes. <laughs> Nuno, my, my, yeah, Boston, my Boston <laughs> compatriot. Yeah. Cool. He doesn't age. I saw. I follow him on Instagram. But I it, bet. Yeah, you know, he did this one post with him and his twenty-five-year-old self. They looked exactly the same. <laughs> You're like, it was like, what's what happening, the fuck, dude? Man, thank you for doing the podcast. Yeah, man, it's yeah. been an yeah. honor. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, man. Keep up, keep up the good work. You Thank know? you. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Chadwick. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.